Brewers Daily with Jason Martinez. And welcome to a Thursday, September 10th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Bill Meltzer going to join us in just a couple of moments, and we're going to break down the Jack Adams winner, which was Bruce Cassidy of the Boston Bruins. He becomes the fourth head coach of the Boston Bruins to win the Coach of the Year. Uh, his fellow nominees, of course, John Tortorella from the Columbus Blue Jackets and Elaine Vigneault, Bruce Cassidy of the Bruins. Uh, gets the honor this year, and certainly a worthy selection when you consider that the Boston Bruins the year prior went to the Stanley Cup Finals, Game 7, lost, and then he was able to have his team come back that next season. Uh, A lot of times those teams that go to the Cup Final and lose suffer a hangover. The Bruins did not. They were the best team in the NHL regular season, only team to reach 100 points in a shortened season this past year. We'll talk about that momentarily with Bill Meltzer, and we're going to talk about this. Bill put out this tweet, and you can follow Bill on Twitter, at Bill Meltzer. He said, Thread, so many Flyers fans seem eager to see Voracek traded. He said, I'm not automatically opposed to trading any player, but just realize that he's not an easy player to replace or upgrade upon. A big, strong forward who can also skate, handle the puck on entries, and thread the needle. In the last seven seasons, Voracek is 17th among NHL forwards in points, 6th in assists, 0.85 points per game in that span. Close to Vladimir Tarasenko is 0.87, Matthew Barzell, much shorter sample size at 0.88, Phil Kessel at 0.86, same as Bergeron, Ajo, and Barkov, and higher than Jonathan Huberdeau at 0.83, Joe Pavelski at 0.83, and Patrick Laine at 0.81, and Evgeny Kuznetsov at 0.81 as well. Bill goes on to say there are times when Voracek can be a frustrating player, including to AV. He does make some careless plays, but I think we'd all like more often to see him getting that quote, I'm taking this puck to the slot net and no one is going to stop me mode of sheer determination he sometimes has. He'll never have the rep of a two-way player, but during the regular season this year, Voracek worked hard on his two-way play and had good season and had a good season overall in that regard. The second goal of Game 7 versus the Islanders started with his weak side coverage breakdown, but overall, his season was fine. Jake has been here a long time, nine years now. With all players, you take the good and not so good. He's emotional, shoots from the hip, he's free-spirited, but he also cares and he plays through almost anything. Hardly misses games, can't take his 40-50 to 50 assist, can take his 40-50 to 50 assist to the bank too. So with that, we bring right now on from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and of course, NHL.com, the author of that thread of tweets, Mr. Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. Yourself? Uh, I was a little surprised that Bruce Cassidy uh, ended up winning the Jack Adams when I kind of handicapped the three coaches that were the finalists. Um, when I ranked them, he was actually third. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I had it the I had it the same way. I, I had Vino winning. I, I had John Tortorella second, and uh, you know, I had Cassidy third. Now, you know, maybe that's maybe that's unfair to Cassidy, but you know, they, I mean, the Bruins were a dominant team even last year. They came one win away from the Stanley Cup, and I mean, sometimes you know, sometimes the the uh, Jack Adams goes to the coach of the most improved team during the season, as opposed to you know, as opposed to. Uh, you know, as opposed to strictly being the coach that had the, I guess the, you know, the, did the most with the players that he had. But I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, but I think that the Bruins had such a good roster that uh, while while I thought that Cassidy earned his, you know, earned his finalist spot, I really thought that 
the level of improvement the Flyers showed, the way they, they cut their goals against average, became the stingiest team in terms of shots allowed. And, you know, the, the run the Flyers went on over those final 26 games uh, before the postseason, which, of course, is where the, uh, which is where the balloting ends. Um, it ended before the bubble. So, you know, if you look at look where the Flyers were and they were, you know, they were they were really trending towards the, the top of the conference. And I really I really thought A V had a good shot. So with with all due respect to um Bruce Cassidy, I really thought I really thought this was Vino's second time to win. I, you know, you don't you, you never pencil it in because you never know, you know, how, how it's going to go. The broadcasters vote on the award. And uh, you know, it's uh you know, I I mean listen, there's so many there are a lot of good coaches in the league. I think the fact that Vigneault was a five-time finalist, speaks to him as an elite coach, but I, I really thought he would win. And, and then John Tortorella, I, you know, I actually had him probably ahead of A.V. until the point that uh, until the point that the Blue Jackets started getting just riddled with injuries. As soon as as soon as Seth Jones went down, uh, but then they were without Cam Atkinson. They were, you know, they they I think one at one point they were without seven, eight key players and. Yeah. You know, I, I, I there's there's only so many you know so many rabbits to pull out of the hat. I mean, Columbus was up with the challenging for the top of the conference, and it was strictly a you know coaching had a lot to do with it. But then when the team was decimated with injuries, they were really tumbling and tumbling and tumbling and in, in danger of you know, I mean, fighting for that last uh, wild card spot at, at that point in time. And then they were a team that uh, you know they got they got a bump based on. Just on you know, just on the length of the uh, of the pause, they were a team that were able to get you know healthy players back. Um, they had a you know really tough first round series, and you know I mean the, the five overtime game. If you really look at it, that was really what what ultimately probably swung that series. If that game goes Columbus's way, now again that that's all after the balloting, but I'm just saying over the look at the whole body of work. Um, you know, Tortorella is certainly a a very very successful coach in the league. And again, there, there are other, there are other coaches too that could have been considered, but if it would, it would have been my call on this one. Uh, I would have picked Vino. Um, it's very interesting. I, I, I wanted Tortorella to win for one reason. I wanted to see if he would actually answer more than 90 seconds worth of questions at a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not the warm and fuzzy guy, you know, all that kind of stuff, but uh, there's no moral yeah. victories, you know, torts, but to sheer entertainment for me, at least. Uh, one coach in the NHL since the Jack Adams has come in has won it three times and he won it with three different teams. And that's the great late Pat Burns, who was also a winner of it with the Boston Bruins in 97, 98. Of course we know Bill, uh, the, the, the career that he had, he, Won it in 92-93. Oddly enough, 93 was the last time a Canadian team won it. He won it with the Leafs that year, and the Canadians went on to win the Cup that year. His former team, where he won his first back in 88-89. It's tremendous. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's such a shame that uh, – it's such a shame that, that uh, he had to, had to wait for his Hockey Hall of Fame induction. You know, it mm-hmm. would have been nice if he was alive and well at, at, at that point in time because he certainly deserved it. Um, you know, one of the ultimate tough love coaches, coaches around, you know, he was, coach was definitely tougher than a lot of his players. Um, you know, some, some of his, uh, some of his encounters with, uh, John Cordick are, are legendary, you know, but he's a guy that his players respected and, uh, opposing coaches respected officials respected. I mean, he was a, you know, he, he was a, he was a, just a really, really tough guy, but a, but a very good hockey coach and, and, you know, and a good man away from the rink too. So he was, he was certainly a, a very fine coach. And that is something that not a lot of people know that he, he won the Jack Adams, you know, with, with three different clubs. 
Yeah, I can imagine when in his days prior to being an NHL coach, when he was a cop, if the lights were going off and he walked up to your car when you were speeding, it'd be quite intimidating. Um, Bill, I read the, I read your thread of tweets before I brought you on and uh, regarding Jake Voracek, and I think this is such an interesting conversation um, because a lot of times, you know, in sports, in in sports where you know it, it's about putting a puck in a net or a, bas- a basketball through a hoop or scoring a touchdown, whatever it is, hitting home runs. Oftentimes players that are playmakers or guys that set up other players to do the scoring, a lot of times we don't value that player in the same way because they don't commit the final act of putting the ball through the basket or the puck in the net. And Jake Borchek's never been a scorer. So I, I think sometimes people always want players like that, whether that's Ben Simmons with the Sixers, who's a facilitator, or whether that's uh, a guy like uh, like Jake Voracek or even Claude Giroux uh, for the guys that set up plays. And oftentimes the guy that sets up that play is more responsible for the goals than the goal scorer on a lot of occasions. But uh, what, first of all, what led you to the thread of tweets? Well, I, I think that uh, a lot of us in the you know, local hockey media, we've been besieged by, you know, the you're, once, once the season ends, silly season starts and, you know, there have been a lot of uh, a, a lot of trade suggestions, and a lot of them seem to revolve around, you know, Voracek. And my my whole premise on this was that, you know, while I I'm not personally opposed to a, a trade in the core or or any one particular player, I mean, you know, the the old the old saying about how even Wayne Gretzky was traded, you know, you can you can make deals that help a hockey team. But my my point of this is that Voracek is a much harder player to replace than people think he is. And, um, you know, no, he's not a, no, he's not a prolific scorer. He'll usually get 20, quite often 20 on the nose, it seems like, but he, he racks up the assists, you know, and, um, uh, beyond that, he's a, you know, he's a big, strong forward and, you know, he's one of the Flyers best guys in, in bringing the puck into the offensive zone. Um, that's an area they've struggled at times, but I mean, he's, he's a guy who does it with a pretty high degree of success a lot of the time. And, you know, he's, he's been a very good player in the league for a long time. I mean, one of the things I did in the, uh, you know, in, in the thread was talk about his, his points per game average. And that evens out the, you know, although we, although that even, you know, that evens out uh, in terms of number of games played. I looked at, I looked at a seven year sample. So not all these guys have played the seven years in the league. You know, some guys have been in the league a shorter period of time. Um, but I, I just looked at you know, when Voracek really moved up in the Flyers lineup. It's been about seven years since he moved up from the third line up to the top line. And during that period of time, he's averaged, uh, you know, uh, I think 0.85 points a game, and that that's right in the same ballpark as a, as a lot of guy, a lot of players in the league, really very quality players, you know, like Tarasenko and, um, you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but guys Phil like Kessel. Sebastian Ajo and yeah, yeah, Phil Castle. I mean, yeah, guys Bergeron. who guys are pretty steady point producers in the league, yeah. and uh, Voracek is right there with them, and you know, on a year in year out basis, but just just the combination of you know he's uh, the, the, his particular skill set is a unique one. It's not there aren't there are a lot of, a lot of guys like him. So while you know while it is conceivable, you know you you trade him or, or whatever if you could make the team better, you know it opens a hole in the lineup that's not all that easy to replace. And that was kind of that was kind of where I was going with the thread. And I, you know the other thing too is that I don't want to say contempt, but but familiarity of the player often brings often brings out. Uh, you know, people people look at the flaws a little bit more than um, you know all the good things that they bring. You have to you have to take the good with the bad sometimes with the player, 
you know, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a baseball example. I mean, the, you know, Borchek is not a, not a hockey version of Mike Schmidt, but I, you know, but I remember, Oh, he strikes out too much. He, yep. this, he, that, you know, does this, he does that. Uh, he, he never comes through in the playoffs. That's all. That's all he was world series MVP, you know, in, in, in 80, but it was, you know, I mean, he was the best third base in baseball for a long time, but, you know, he, uh, he but, but you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know it from what, you know, what a lot of the fan base thought during that period of time. And, you know, that's, that's often the case with, with athletes that are in a town for a long period of time, particularly if you don't win a championship during those, during those years, it seems that uh, sometimes the negative gets focused on more than the positive. I want to say also for Voracek this season, and that was, that was in the thread, you know, Jake's never been known as a, as a, you know, as any kind of a selkie candidate, and he's not. But on the other hand, he he worked pretty hard at his two-way game this this season in particular. And I thought he had, I thought he had a really good two-way year. He lost a little bit points-wise, but I thought it was an all-around year. He had a he had a really solid one of his better years as a flyer when you look at when you look at everything combined. Um, you know, he was again his goals were down a little bit, but most years most years will get you twenty, and most years will get you anywhere from. 40 to about 55 assists in a, in a really good year. So that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's, that's a lot of plays that he sets up and one thing for playmakers. And, and it's also regardless of the sport, whether you're talking basketball or, or hockey or whatever, you know, the, a good playmaker makes the players around them better because he, he gets them the ball or the puck or, or whatever in position to succeed. And Borchek is very good at threading the needle. I mean, sometimes he makes these, unbelievable passes now the thing is that the guys who handle the puck more tend to turn more pucks over it's just it's it's a league-wide thing you you can look you can look at the league leaders and turnovers back when you know guys like joe sackick and nicholas lidstrom two two unquestioned hall of famers were in the league in and uh most years if you look at the top guys for giveaways they they were up near the top and it's because they handle the puck so much so yeah you know i i mean i think check will yeah yeah exactly and and that's going to and that's going to entail some risk, and some of the, some of them aren't going to work out, and some of them are going to even go back the other way and end up in your own net. But those are, you know, those 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 are the players who can be difference makers too. I I know that you know I know I know that uh, Voracek can be a little bit of a frustrating player at times, just because you'll see, yeah, you know, you'll see a game um, like like in the Montreal series, and he was in that mode where nobody's going to stop me. And it didn't matter who the defender was. He was, you know, using his, using his power to get to the net and, you know, making things happen. And, and you want to see that every single night, but no player's going to do that every single night. And every player's going to be a little streaky to a degree. I, I would have liked to have seen Jake have a better, better, uh, you know, bottom line numbers against the Islanders. He only had one point in the Islander series. You could say that for, a lot of the key guys in the Flyers, but I don't think the Flyers will win that Montreal series if not for the way Voracek played. So, you know, I, again, I think you have to look at the whole picture. Yeah, the great Mike Schmidt quote was, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of having to read about it <laughs> in Philadelphia, yeah, yeah. with the Philadelphia <laughs> media. Um, yeah. But, but, but did, a couple things real quick, because um, and offensive players need to incur risk because if you're not incurring risk, you're predictable. So when you incur that risk, there's going to be another element of turnovers and those kind of things. And guys that drive offense, that's part of their game. And look, in Philadelphia, yeah, we do see Jake Voracek and we see his warts. We don't – a lot of people and, and probably a lot of the people that are suggesting to trade him to you, me, and, and everybody, every other media member, Bill, uh, are the guys that don't look at the uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. They see the goals. 
and, and it's great that he's right. a great goal scorer, but they don't see the neutral zone and defensive zone play. And some of the other guys that, you know, you mentioned in your string of tweets, you know, not many guys are, and oddly enough, Patrice Bergeron, uh, that are in essence, perfect hockey players. I look at Bergeron as the perfect player, but when you can, and Phil Kessel is a guy that creates offensively. He's a, I mean, he's going to get you goals and he's going to put himself in position to do so. It's going to cost you sometimes, but that's part of the equation. Um, and and I, like, like I'm with you too. Like I, I understand people want to trade someone from the core to maybe shake the core and just change the dynamic. But again, when you go into the market with a, a player that's making, you know, the contract that Jake has with what four, four, five more years on it at $8.2 million, it's not an easy contract to trade. And are you going to get what you give is the big question. Uh, when you look at his, you know, what he's getting paid bill for that production, it's pretty commensurate, is it not? It is. Yeah. You know, they're the real superstar players. And I think Jake is in that next category down with, with the names that we've mentioned, you know, uh, now Bergeron, Bergeron, obviously, as you said, I mean, he's a, he's a perennial Selkie finalist. He's a center and not a winger. It's not in his case, that's not really an apples to apples comparison, but a lot of these other guys are wingers. And a lot of these guys have, you know, their, their collections of pros and cons, but you know, but if you, if you look at what a lot of these players are, are getting paid, he's, he's right in the same range as, many of these guys. So you're getting, you're getting a top 20 forward in the NHL and that's not going to be cheap, you know, especially because he signed an extension coming off his career year. So that's usually going to be, you know, when, you know, when you, when you pay maximum value for a guy, but it's, uh, you know, but the Flyers, the Flyers have gotten a lot of value out of him. I think particularly people that, that try to look at him from primarily from a goal scoring standpoint, don't really understand what, what his main value is. Yeah, it, 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 it's a, he's a curious case. And um, the other element that you dipped into was, you know, Voracek, uh, dare I say the person. Um, he is, uh, he's one guy that I think that if the fans got to know better uh, off the ice, I think that they would like him more. I think they assume that he's like a surly guy, but he's not. He, he to me, and you and I deal with the players quite a bit. Uh, and we're around him, and I've been around Jake for a long time, as you have. Uh, his whole career here, as a matter of fact. And to me, he's one a guy that is, let's use the word, free-spirited. Um, he is yeah. emotional. He's hilarious. Um, he's honest, sometimes to a fault. Um, and, and I think that people got to know Jake a little bit better. And, and look, I don't know if that's that – maybe that's our fault, that we haven't exposed that side of him enough. Um, and the interview that I did with him here on Flyers Daily was hilarious. It sounded like Morse code by the end because I had to beep so many curse words. He was having a blast. Yeah. And, yeah, oh, I mean, absolutely. oh, absolutely. And, and I think that and, – and another thing I don't think people realize is the amount of charity that this guy does. Nobody has more guys down in that locker room where I work than he does. And he never talks about it. He doesn't do it for publicity. He does it for the right reasons. It's just one of those other elements to him is I, I think he's a good human being. Oh, he, he is. He's a tremendous human being. And – uh you know, he's re- really good with kids. He, as you said, he's, he's, he's really funny. You know, you, you can talk about non-hockey topics. So you can just shoot the breeze with him in the locker room sometimes, you know, and sometimes those are better conversations than, than talking hockey with him. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, Jake, Jake is a really, really good guy. He's again, he shoots from the hip. You will never, <laughs> you will never be left wondering how Jake feels about something. You know, if he doesn't, doesn't like something, something, you know, something you said, something you wrote, whatever, he'll tell you. Right. And then it's over. 
And he does. He doesn't carry. You know, he doesn't carry anything around with him. Next time you see him, it's you know, saying hi, la- laughing, talking again. I mean, he's you know, he's he's an emotional guy, but he's you know, but he's a he's a really good guy. And the other thing too is two other things that I think people don't realize is his durability as a player. He rarely he's rarely miss any games yeah. over his career with the Flyers. Um, in six of the last, yeah, six of his eight years, he's played, he's played every game. And one of the years, the games he missed were, were strictly because of, uh, like, you know, two games suspension. I think he missed one game because of the flu. Um, and then another year, and another year was like an, an injury issue that, you know, that kept him out a little bit, but he, he, he rarely missed, he rarely misses games. And, uh, despite whatever, you know, whatever anybody may say or think and on social media, he is definitely a player who cares. He doesn't, yeah. you know, he, um, you know, so I mean, if uh, you know, if 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 he comes up short, it, it's not for it's not for lack of effort. Um, you know, I, and also too, sometimes playoff reputations with players. You know, I, I say this a lot. It only takes one big run. If you look at if you look at Keith Primo's um, playoff reputation before 2004, you know, I mean, it, it was like a it was like a thousand pound weight around you know on his shoulders. Um, going back to his years in Detroit, and he, you know, other than other than the five overtime goal, he his, his playoff, you know, his playoff numbers were really tough. He'd had a lot of tough playoff runs where he wasn't very productive. Then all of a sudden, in in 2004, you know, he was one of the absolutely critical guys in, in how far the Flyers got within within a win of the Cup Finals, and the blue line banged up, and now everybody remembers Primo as a, as a playoff hero. And that's you know that sometimes that's all it takes is that one big playoff run, and that that changes the perception of somebody. Or it can go the other way too. Look at all the big playoffs that that uh, Claude Drew had early in his Flyers career, uh, but the last four have been kind of tough on him. So you know, so now it's always a guy who's never come through in the playoffs. It's you know, it's it's a, it's very much a what have you done for me lately sport. That that all it's all part and parcel of it. It all goes with the turf. I think that. Uh, you know, I know that Voracek understands that, and, and athletes athletes know that that's, that's part of what comes with it. But I, I think that when you when you look at the total picture, I'm not saying the guy is, is irreplaceable or anything like that. Nobody's really truly irreplaceable. I'm just saying that uh, you know you're you're giving up a lot if you trade them, and uh, you got to you have to have a plan in place for you know for replacing what he brings, and that, that's easier said than done. Yeah, a lot of people, you know. They want a goal scorer. They want that pure sniper. Yeah. Those guys, um, you know, they don't grow on trees. There's not a tree out back where you can just go pluck a, uh, to use the guy that we talked about earlier, Tarasenko, or you know, a line A. You know, those guys are are few and far between. And it's odd to me that we're getting this much dialogue about Vortex. I thought he actually had a really good playoff too. <laughs> you, I mean, the way it ended, I guess, is the lasting image. But I thought he really right. kind of. He played hard. Uh, he had success. He had nine points in the 15 games. Um, I thought he was uh, a, a player that when a lot of times it didn't look like anybody else had anything going, either with their legs or offensively, he was a guy that was driving chances and driving opportunity. And I guess that uh, that 4 nothing game in game seven, and, and it was it was a bad one. Uh, I guess that's the lasting image, yep. and that's, that's kind of what people are, are sticking to at this point. No, absolutely, absolutely, and and in the uh, games five and six, where the Flyers were fighting off elimination, you know, didn't really have the the points to show for it. But he he was one of the guys that when the Flyers were, were making that push, he was creating a lot, a lot. And, and in that second overtime in, in game six, he was, you know, he was one of the guys leading the way. And 
Now, game game two in overtime, which of course the Flyers won that one relatively quickly in that overtime after losing the three to nothing lead. Voracek was one of the driving forces in that too. So, you know, I, I, I think, again, I think he's a very good hockey player. I think he's a legitimate top line guy in the league. His numbers say that. You know, I, I think people also, you, you can't look at today's numbers through through the prism of, you know, what numbers were like in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s. If you have, if you have a guy who can get you 65, 75 points a year, 75 points a year, you know, if you get a 75 points, he's not a legitimate top line player in the league. And Voracek is, Voracek is quite often in that, you know, range right around 70. And that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good top line guy in today's league. It's not a superstar, but it's a pretty darn good player. Well, I mean, the first comment I see in your tweets, the first reply that I saw was a guy, his name was Slade. And he said he was signed to the big salary to be a skilled sniper. He has not been that he is overpaid. (laughs) And your response is great. You go, he's never been a sniper, nor was he signed to be that. He's a playmaking forward year in and year out. And is one of the better ones around the league. If you're looking for a lot of goals out of Voracek, it's a bad scouting report. Yeah, well, you can go you can go all the way back to when he was in the Quebec League. He was, mm-hmm. you know, even in the Quebec League, he was never a prolific goal scorer. He's never had, you know, he's never had a twenty-five goal year in the NHL. But he's had, you know, he's had I think three seasons over fifty assists. So that's you know, it tells you what kind of player he is. It, it's, uh, you know, I, it's. I mean, if you if you look in Flyers history, there haven't been a ton of just absolute pure, pure, pure goal scorers. You know, Reggie Leach certainly would be yep. right near the top, right. Uh, McLeish with his with his wrist shot was just a dynamite goal scorer. Brian Prop, you know, but even you know, of course, Lindros could score from anywhere, but it, it, you know, but it, it's a limited number of guys. Um, and uh, you know, even even Clarky was never a prolific goal scorer. He was another playmaking type. So it's you know, it's uh, those those guys are a nice a nice luxury to have on your team. Unfortunately, in the salary cap age, you know, those guys carry a, a heavy burden. You know, like cap hit wise, just because. They're not. There's not a ton of them around the league, so you know that it, it's something where if you're building down the middle, it's nice to have a young sniper on his entry level deal because those guys will will run you big money a lot of times, and uh, there's only so many cap dollars to go around. So sometimes you have to, uh, you know, if you can get a two way guy who scores a little bit less, but maybe contributes a night contributes a little more on nights when he's not scoring, you know, maybe that that can be better bang for the buck and and really. The teams, the teams that tend to win are the teams that have the depth anyway. And as we've seen in the playoffs, look at the Islanders. Islanders were hardly a, an offensive juggernaut this this season, but they they came alive for the you know first two rounds of the playoffs. So, you know, I, it, it's all in when you peak anyway, and it, it's it's all about the group and not about the indiv- individual numbers. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. That's um, that's really what what wins in today's game. Yeah, Bill, we're going to have to do one of these breakdowns as well on the captain because that's obviously another name that's been thrown around there with a with a playoff series where, you know, he didn't he didn't score a ton and didn't end up on the score sheet enough and and he'd be the first to admit that he's got to play better. Um but we got to break that down as well because this other tweeter that responded to you said uh uh, he's grossly overpaid regarding Voracek again. If he was making three to five mil a year, I'd never complain. But for his salary, he's just dominant. He's just like a dominating player. He sh- for that salary, he should be a dominating player. And if 70 points is only three to five million, then I don't know what to tell people. But anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if you, you go, you know, if you go back to the mid 90s, that was, yeah. that would be, uh, you know, hope that guy's not that'd an be agent. a $3 million player. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Oh my goodness. But anyway, uh, we'll do one of these uh, for uh, the Claude Giroux next week. Bill, uh, the, the general manager is going to speak uh, a little later this afternoon. Uh, what do you expect to hear out of uh, Chuck Fletcher in his media availability? I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he'll probably say that the, the year as a whole was a, a step in the right direction. Uh, there, there's opportunity or, 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 you know, a need to continue to improve. Um, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll fess up to the, the tightness of the salary cap, but say, you know, but I mean, last year, sometimes it's not always the obvious moves, you know, the, uh, sometimes it's the little moves or a combination of smaller moves. Uh, the big move last year was, was Kevin Hayes, but it was the, the combination of all the moves together, you know, Niskanen and, uh, Braun. even, even smaller moves like Tyler Pitlick. Yeah. Braun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the combination of those, uh, of all of those things help the flyers to improve. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the team has to make a big blockbuster trade. I do think there are areas where they, they should look, you know, to get better. And we can, we can talk about that after, uh, after Chuck talks, but, um, you know, and, and I think there'll be other questions, uh, pertaining to Nolan Patrick's status. Um, you know, does he see a guy like Morgan Frost fitting in the starting lineup next year? Um, or at least challenge, at least pushing for a spot. I mean, those, those would be the questions that I would, expect will be asked uh and then he may may adjust the draft and, and prospects in the system a little bit um because you got to figure out you got to figure out as we discussed the other day if there's not an ahl season for a while what do you do with these guys and then how's how's that going to end up looking um i'm sure you know he doesn't have all the answers yet on that either but it's a it's a it's a very busy off season really for every gm but uh given the the flat cap the short turnaround with the uh you know the the draft um coming up on what the the 6th and 7th of October and then yep. free agency uh, October 9th and then uh, you know you're basically a month away from training camp at that point and the Stanley Cup have just been awarded you know uh, so it's uh, it, it's, it's going to be a super short turnaround for teams this year um, and uh, so there's not a lot of time to do you know some of the some of the legwork you might otherwise do in a normal offseason and he's also got to resign you know their own uh, restricted free agents and make decisions with the unrestricted guys. So that's a, that's a lot to get done in a short period of time. And I'm sure he'll kind of, you know, focus on that too, that, uh, you know, maybe there's not, not a lot of time, not a lot of time to waste. So you roll up your sleeves and get started right away. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting period of time and how he makes these, uh, uh, these pieces all fit and how he decides to handle this off season. As you mentioned, some restricted free agents, some pretty important players, uh, Nicholas Albay Kubel, you mentioned Nolan Patrick, uh, Robert Haig uh, as well. Phil Myers is uh, an RFA, and boy, he's starting to show that he may be a, a, a top two defenseman on this team, uh, the way he's trending right now and the, the play that uh, he's going to be capable of. Is he's a, kind of a late bloomer. Uh, so it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens there. And uh, we'll also find out, uh, what, uh, tonight about uh, the Selkie, Thursday night? Believe so. Believe so. Yeah. Okay. We'll see if Sean Couturier – uh, does not get passed over like Elaine Vino did for the Jack Adams and wins uh, his first Selkie Award. Uh, Bill, when was the voting done for the Selkie Award, just so people know uh, that it has nothing to do with the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. all the all of it was uh, before the before the players reported the bubble. It, it's, uh, so all the voting was already in. And even though, uh, even though sometimes you hear the word, you know, finalist, it's all one ballot, so it's not like you do – two sets of ballots, you know, there's a list of nominees, they pick three finalists and you vote from the three finalists. They're just, they're just one ballot and the three guys who were the top three finishers 
in the in the voting are, are called the finalists. The only one where there's a little bit of a process is uh, the Masterton, where they're all 31. Next year, will be 32 teams. Uh, the, their local PHWA chapter uh, nominates somebody, and then you know, then three players are, are selected as uh, you know from from that pool there. So there's you know the phase phase one is the 31 candidates, and then you vote among the, the 31 candidates. When, but when was the it's Masterton just, it's just voting one completed? Vote. I, I, um, that was all. That was all. Was it, uh, geez, April? That in early? No, it was even before then. I think, or even it was after then. I think. Was that, it was I, prior I to the that, that All that was, yeah. It was prior. It was. It's all prior to the playoffs. Yeah, it all has to be in before the playoffs start. So it's usually right, like right after the regular season is declared completed. Then you know the the final the final uh, deadline for ballots being submitted goes in, and they. You know, then they actually announce the winners after the season. They're doing it earlier this year during the post during the playoffs, just because uh, there's not going to be time for. You know, obviously, you know, there won't be an NHL award show, and there's there's really going to be no time to turn around between the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs and the draft. So they're just they're just doing the awards during the, the postseason this particular year. But usually, there's a that award show that's right before the draft, a couple days before. All right, so hear that Flyers Twitter. Um, the Master Tim was voted on before. Oscar played in the game. No reason to crap on Bobby, Bobby Ryan. And his story is not just about alcohol or substance. It's way deeper than that. Google Bobby Ryan and read the whole story. It is read the player's tribute article. It is uh, it's an incredible story. Congrats uh, to Sherry Hills, uh, Bobby Ryan on, on winning the Masterton. I hate to call it a winner, but. uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tremendous. Absolutely. And, And there's, and Oscar could be, you know, Oscar could very easily win it next year too. So that's uh, you know a player can be can be renominated by the THW. There have, there have been a couple of cases within the last couple of years actually where a guy you know had had a situation one year was nominated for that you know for that market didn't win but then then won the next year after the story kind of comes to its completion. So you know when, when Lindblom plays next season and you know, hopefully has, hopefully has a strong season he's certainly capable of it. His prognosis is good. You know, I think Oscar has a really good chance to win next year, which would be, which would be fantastic if Ryan could win it this year and Oscar next year. You know, that, that would be really the, the best of both worlds. No question about it. Bill, thanks for doing this. Great stuff on Jake Voracek. We look forward to hearing what Chuck Fletcher has to say. Uh, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. And we'll have another brand new edition for you coming up tomorrow. Chuck Fletcher will speak today. We'll have all the breakdown and he will appear on this podcast tomorrow. He's going to speak to the media tomorrow. He's going to speak to the media today at one. And then he's going to stop by for a little one-on-one chat with yours truly. Flyers Daily presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options, fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho. Give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. Have a great day, everybody. Chuck Fletcher will join us tomorrow right here on Flyers Daily. In the day we swear.